0: Alright, welcome in. Cube Show Podcast, a college football podcast that comes to you each and every Sunday. Why? Because we want to give you Sunday college football content. We get right into the X's and O's, right into the news, right into the things that are happening, right into the film that's been studied, and we don't want to waste a ton of your time. And obviously, massive news this week with Texas and Oklahoma coming to the Southeastern Conference a year early. So in 2024, pay attention folks. 2023 is going to be fine. It's going to be good, and we'll spend a lot of time talking about 2023 and what that's going to be. Speaking of that, I always want to respond to you guys that sort of tweet in and and have different comments on YouTube, different things. Please go subscribe to the YouTube page. If you're here watching, I'm appreciative. We're appreciative, and obviously I need you to stick around, make sure you don't miss an episode, and help us build uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a of a unique population here that's going to be able to tune in each and every week. Greg Skipworth. Tweet it into the show, at Cube Show via Twitter as well, at Cube Show on Instagram. Follow us there. We appreciate that. One big thing for each SEC team to answer going into spring ball, this will be a separate episode of the show once we get a little bit closer. I think Missouri's going to start first. Their spring game is in March. So they have to start sometime soon. Um, I think Auburn's a couple weeks away. Once we really get into it, that that will be an episode. Just let's, let's look at one or two things from each team that we want to learn about each and every team. But this week, Texas-Oklahoma, there's so many different ways to go, so many different things to talk about. We've got to talk about it. Over the course of the show today, I got a couple guys that I looked at from a few schools. Uh, We're going to talk about those guys, a little bit of film study on some Tennessee Ole Miss kids. There's some A&M news that I want to get to with an individual player. So stick around for that. And then obviously at the end of the show, kind of spinning off of this Oklahoma-Texas news, I have a bit of a discussion that I want to have about college football rivalries and how the SEC could really become the dominant conference, as they are most everything else, but especially in rivalries and on rivalry weekend. I'm going to give you my top five college football rivalries towards the end of the show. Let's dive into a couple things that have happened first. You know each and every week, we are brought to you by our friends at Wickle's Pickles. You guys always know that I got the pickle jar as big as my head. Wickle's also the spicy red sandwich spread. Amazing. And if you just want to switch it up a little bit, you get similar flavor, like that sweet goodness. Uh, because you know, wickle's pickles are wickedly delicious. So is the Wickles okra wickedly delicious there as well. I'm telling you, I didn't get okra until into okra until later in life. These are phenomenal, just like the pickles are. So go check out Wickles, uh, Wickles Pickles, Wickedly Delicious. They are the sponsor of the show each and every week. We're very appreciative of what they do and how much they support us and how much they help us with. All right. Kevin Steele was named the Alabama defensive coordinator literally minutes after we put the episode out last week. We told you that was a name to watch for. Um, let's just kind of spend a, a, a second or two on just what that means. Keep in mind, first and foremost, for the folks that say he's a little bit too old, or he this isn't going to be a good fit, or he's not really going to know how to manage this, he knows his defense. He knows Nick Saban. Nick Saban knows him. And that's not just back to the couple stints in Alabama. Keep in mind, Nick Saban and Kevin Steele's were GAs together at Kent State for Don James, the head coach that Nick Saban talks about it all the time. Then you go back to the Panthers when that franchise was first established. Dom Capers, the head coach, well, Kevin Steele's on that staff and Joe Pendry was the offensive coordinator. If you don't know what Joe Pindry is to Nick Saban, I would explain him as a bit of a sounding board. Uh, you guys often hear me talk about Every staff needs an F.U. coach, essentially a guy that comes in and says, hey, coach, F.U., stop that. F.U., don't do that again. Certain coaches that have said things in the media, that have refused to recruit a different way, uh, won't play a different player. They've needed that guy to come in and say, F.U., do this. Don't do that. Uh, Joe Pendry acts as a little bit of that for Nick Saban. Not not completely, not into a totality but a sounding board, a bit of an FU coach, just uh, somebody who guides him a little bit and gives him advice on a lot of different things. So that relationship and how they're tied together, that goes way, way back. And just gives you a little bit of an idea of, of maybe some, some things that you haven't thought about about why this could be a little bit of a better hire for Nick Saban. And, and I'm not going to judge this by the Miami group last year. I, I don't think the personnel was enough for Kevin Steele to really have a great defense. Did it look a little bit off at times? Sure. But also keep in mind, A lot of the terminology, a lot of the alignment, a lot of the assignments are not going to be new to a lot of these players on this Alabama defense. They've been running this, so the familiarity will be better than when he took over at Miami. Just a couple of things to think about with that. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it because I feel like the last two episodes have been really heavy Alabama coordinator stuff. Uh, I had a chance to go down to Auburn, Alabama yesterday. uh, My wife and I went down, went to the basketball game. Uh, Fun game, amazing game. Uh, I will say this. Seeing Alabama in person, did not understand that the length was to the extent that it was. Uh, the athleticism of Brandon Miller has to wow you when you see him in person, even though he had a, an off shooting night. Um, didn't really change my perspective of what he is and what he's capable of. Uh, proud of the way that the Auburn team fought. Fun fun atmosphere. The jungle was rocking. Uh, we got to catch up with some cool people, see some fun people as well as Auburn head coach Hugh Freeze. A little bit of an update there. He... I, I was really impressed with just talking about the roster. I'll just say that. Really impressed with Hugh's sort of vision for, I think oftentimes we get caught up in what's his vision for the next three years, the next five years. You know, what's his what's his long-term vision for the program? It was cool to hear Hughes sort of lay out, all right, this is this is what we want to do in the spring. These are the first few things we need to find out in the spring. These are the few things we need to come out of spring with, and this is probably what we're going to have to look at going into fall. And then added on a couple of things year two and and on down the road, but just talking to him in person about a couple of those things, I was I was really impressed and hadn't really had that chance to spend that kind of time with them um, about the program. But it was really cool, made me feel really confident about the future of Auburn football being able to do that yesterday. Uh, a couple other guys that I want to get to before we actually get into this Oklahoma and Texas news. Uh, Anaya Smith announces that he's coming back at Texas A and M. Now, I'm mean, i was I. This A&M offense is one that we need to be careful with. Now, is the mentality there? Is the leadership there? Um, Is the mindset there? How is the mix between Jimbo and Petrino going to work? Those are some things that we don't know. Won't know the answers to until at least a couple of weeks into the season. But I'm just telling you guys, I had A&M and Connor Wigman a couple of times last year. This kid has ability. And there's a lot about him that says SEC quarterback makeup, DNA, things of that nature. Uh, he's put in some rough spots last year and still did some nice things. The receiving core is going to be legit. Um, I, I'm not overly confident with tight end. I understand that Donovan Green is a young, talented kid, but I, I, I wish I had a little bit more that I could lean on at that position going in. Uh, running back, not necessarily what it's been the last couple of years with what's been returning, but now you got a utility player in Smith that you can move around and do different things with. So I'm thinking Bobby Petrino's offense, if it does sort of take that next step, which is needed to with motions and movement, he can be that guy that's really dangerous in that role. So just really big news for A&M and what's going to be back on that side of the ball. The offensive line should be great. I mean, a lot of these guys have played a ton of football. Fatherly is now two years in. He's played a bunch of football. Layden Robinson has played a ton of football. You know, Bryce Foster was a center for the majority of last year. Like the, These guys have played a lot of football together and should have an understanding of what it's supposed to be like. They stay healthy. All I'm saying, I'm not picking AM to win the West right now, but just keep your eyes on this offense because it's got a chance to be dangerous. Uh, went and studied a couple of guys this week. Um, probably throughout the course of this offseason, I'm going to study different guys that are in the portal that you as an SEC fan probably hadn't paid a ton of attention to and just try to let you know what your team is getting. Took a look at Ole Miss defensive tackle out of NC State, Josh Harris, 6'4", 325. And while we're talking about Ole Miss, And tell you guys about Blue Delta Jeans because right there in Oxford, it's where they're located as far as the headquarters. You can go in there, get fitted yourself. These are a game changer. Blue Delta Jeans, the only pair of denim you're ever going to need. Flexible, comfortable, and long-lasting. Custom fit. So for guys like me, husky, big, chubby, even if the weight fluctuates a little bit, you're going to have a little extra give, you're going to have a little extra room. And you want those jeans to be tapered, to look nice, to look dressy-wear. You can put them on with a shirt and a sport coat and look like you're going to church, look like you're going to a business meeting, and you're going to be fine. You throw them on with a t-shirt, be casual, walk out, you're going to be good to go. You cannot beat Blue Delta Jeans. BlueDeltajeans.com. and the guys will take great care of you. We appreciate them also being a sponsor of this show. All right, Josh Harris, 64325. Pete Golding got him a real deal SEC nose guard. This kid can strike and shed. Uh, he has pretty good athleticism for three twenty five. He gives you a he gives you a wiggle in the pass rush when he's on his own, but he is a block eater. This kid eats double teams. This kid eats up space. This kid penetrates and disrupts. He can be a problem in any SEC defense. And when utilized the way that Pete's going to want to utilize him, I think he will be a massive get for Ole Miss if they can get his motor going a higher percentage of the time. Um, I'm not going to say all the time because most kids are 325. Your your motor's not going to run every play. That's just part of being chubby. I've I've been there. I know what it's like. Um, But if they can get it going just a little bit more, the kid's got ability, man. Like he eats, double teams don't come off of him. He's pushing double teams, ride them over into the running back, just trying to make a cutback run. Like I was really impressed when I put this young man's film on. And I think he can be a big help to a group that obviously needs it. Uh, also, when looked at Louisville linebacker, Monty Montgomery, um, not your prototypical Pete Golding inside linebacker, but his versatility is going to be big as far as a blitzer, as far as helping out in coverage, and then sideline to sideline. Like, I, 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 the, pro, the only thing that we don't know is how he'll adapt to this defense because I'm not going to pretend. Like, it's not a confusing, it's not a complicated defense. It is. It's a lot. I've told you guys before. I've had football conversations with Pete, and there have been times when I've had to say, slow down, I don't know where you are. Like, you lost me four sentences ago, and I'm not really sure what we're talking about right this second. Like, Pete, his football brain is, is that extravagant. It's, it's crazy, but it's also a pure joy to sit down and talk about it with him. So I think Montgomery helps. He, he's most likely going to be a plug-and-play guy because of the versatility, the athleticism, the speed. He doesn't play big. Uh, So what you got from Austin Keys last year, you're not going to get that from Montgomery, probably not going to be the same position either, exactly. But um, in this scheme, with a guy like Josh Harris in front of him eating up blocks, you know, a chance to make a lot of plays. That's what I'll say. So, like, that combo actually could be a really good fit with how Pete Golding is going to bring that defense into Oxford, Mississippi. Appreciate Blue Delta Jeans being a sponsor of the show. If you're in Oxford, go check them out. All right, uh, Tennessee, Andre Carrick, uh, the tackle out of Texas, Uh, went back and studied his game a little bit and, you know, it's, it, it's kind of interesting a little bit. I, I, I think that, I think he's a good football player. I think he does a lot of different things. Well, is he a plus in a lot of things? No, he's not. Uh, but the cool thing about him coming to Tennessee is like, I think his arms are a little bit too short to play tackle. Um, I think he has, I think he has tackle ability as far as how fluid he is, how he moves, changes direction. So I think he can he can take a tackle pass set and do some of the things the tackles asked to do, but he has short arms and he's he's just physically not capable of being a great tackle because of some physical limitations. So that's not his fault. Does he have the power to be a great guard? Um, you know, I don't think he has the mean streak of a Javante Spragans, but I think he's got enough oomph in that system that he could be fine. You know, the, the Tennessee offensive line, you, you have to admit they are aided a little bit by the tempo, by the lighter boxes. By the the reads in the RPO game, whether that's quarterback run read, RPO read, like defenders think a lot more when they play that defense. That helps you as an offensive lineman, especially in your pass blocking. If you get a guy that's wondering, are they throwing a slant over my head or a linebacker that's not coming full speed downhill trying to bend your face mask, and he's kind of playing on his heels a little bit waiting for a pass or a quarterback run to maybe go over the top. And a lot of the stunts you see now, the defensive end crashes and that linebacker has to play over to all of a sudden now come get contained. So that's just a real portion of how that happens and what takes place there. So because of the versatility that I think you've seen with that Tennessee offensive line and how they maneuver it and how they work it, they it's not necessarily a, a physically, you have to look exactly like this to play for Glenn Ellerby at center guard tackle. He'll, he'll take a guy that he just thinks is the best football player in a certain spot and he'll he'll deal with the other stuff. And yeah, you, know, you saw them. They bumped Cade Mays out the tackle. Uh, you saw a couple of different guys this year have to move around different spots. He's he's going to be fine doing that. So I think not only can he be a good depth guy, but because you don't have to be a perfect fit physically in that scheme for that offensive line coach, I think Andrew Carr could be a really good get for Tennessee because he is a good football player. Uh, so he might not be, you know, plug and play Darnell Wright All American. But I do think he can be a good get and maybe an upgrade at some spots if he has to play right away. Or if he's a depth guy, he's played that extra tight end spot, which we've seen Tennessee do some also with some bigger bodies. So he's already done that at Texas. He'll be capable of helping Tennessee out with that if he needs to. All right. So kind of look at a couple of guys, a couple of things that have happened. But the news, as we talked about, is Texas and Oklahoma coming a year early. So 2023 will be fun. But 2024. Folks, we're going to have the expanded playoff. Texas and Oklahoma are going to be in the SEC. USC, UCLA are going to be in the Big Ten. And the SEC on CBS is going to be with ABC and ESPN. Is that a little bit of a selfish happy? Yeah, it is. Uh, But the inventory with ABC and ESPN from an SEC standpoint will be incredible. And that's kind of part of what I want to talk about, because I do think that there are portions of the scheduling that we sort of lock into, that we sort of focus on, but there's there are some other parts of the scheduling that I also think we need to pay attention to. Um, like, oh, is it, is it going to be eight conference games, one permanent opponent? Nine conference games, three permanent opponents. That's where we lock in, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but a 16-team schedule just in and of itself can be complicated. Uh, there are going to be teams that don't play one another for a few years. Uh, we, I know we've seen that now, but you now have more teams in your league, so maybe down the road, don't be surprised. If you see Arkansas and Vanderbilt playing a bowl game because they hadn't played in a while and the conferences are now jammed together a little bit more, and it's conference alignments and different things like that are going to change with bowl games. Claiming championships is something that you might get a team try to do because they have the same record and those two teams didn't play in a season, therefore they didn't qualify for the championship game. I'm just saying there will be things that come with this that some fans aren't going to like. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable just because it's going to be different. now. The other part is, and I've gotten a lot of feedback on this either on McElroy and Cubic in the morning, weekday mornings on Jock, 7 to 10 a.m. in Birmingham, jocksfm.com. And on Twitter as well, talking about Texas. The two-tongue gorilla. And, you know, they 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 have more funds than anybody else, and they're built different and they're driven by different people. The SEC's been dealing with that for a long time. And the SEC has had The two ton gorilla in college football for the last decade, and now has what appears to be the new two ton gorilla in college football, which could be going for the next decade in Alabama and Georgia. I just find it hard to believe that a team, because they have more money and they think they might have more tradition or history, which in this league they don't necessarily have. As a matter of fact, they don't have. I know it's proud and I know it's rich and I know it's great. And I, I think Texas is just cool. I think Texas's football program is cool. I think the, I think the aura of it is cool. Like I always loved, I, I think they're all white uniforms or some of the, it might be the best uniform in college football, but I mean, that, that helmet is just second to none, but that doesn't mean that in this league, you're going to come in and start throwing bows. There, there are different bouncers at this club than the clubs that you've been frequenting. And so I just don't think it happens. It is not a real concern of mine. A big portion of that is Greg Sankey and his leadership and his ability to be able to say, this is it. Sorry, this is where we're going. So that doesn't bother me. And I, I know that that is something that for a lot of people, they look at it and they say, how do you deal with that? You're going to manage that. They ruined the big 12. They you know they, they've ruined two conferences now, Southwest conference. I'm fine. listen, well, Some people will tell you they think Longhorn Network was a good idea when it came about. It never felt like it was going to jive with everybody else, but they were able to pull it off. So why would you not do it if you were Texas? You had to. But I just don't see this as being a real, real issue. Could We We could come back on this podcast when we actually have like 200 subscribers in 10 years and you say, you're an idiot. Look at this. Texas is ruining the SEC. I just don't think we're going to get to that point. And I don't think that's really going to happen. So... We are gunning for a thousand subscribers and please go subscribe on the YouTube. If you have it, we appreciate that. Um, But the other parts of this, I think you're, you're looking at maybe more games getting streamed. Uh, That's a, that's a, an issue that I've had brought up to me that people aren't going to like that. Well, that's where everything's going. So part of me with that kind of like we talked about with Stetson Bennett and looking at a cell phone, like folks, that's where we are today. Part of you has to say, I need to learn this, figure this out, grow up and get with this because that's just what it is. This, this ain't 1998 from a television perspective. Figure it out. Uh, I also think that that's not as much of an issue because all that Big Ten inventory is going away from ESPN and ABC, and more SEC inventory is going to be coming in. Now you have more better slots for more bigger SEC games, which is why I believe you're going to get the nine-game conference, nine conference schedule, which would give you three permanent opponents. That is going to be fun to just discuss and debate and kick around and talk about for a while. Greg Sankey on McElroy and Cubic in the morning this week said their sole focus has been on a divisionless league. So I think it's essentially saying that's where they're going. We're not the argument about having divisions, I think, is mute. It's gone. We're not gonna that's not even a real thing. We're not gonna have that. But I do think the other portion of this is looking at those opponents, looking at who they're gonna have in the nine games. The nine games ups your inventory. Well, what does that do? I've said for a long time. That's kind of the ace up the sleeve of Greg Sankey when it comes to TV rights. That's the last card he can pull and say, well, what if we go to nine? Then our inventory goes to here. Think about all the better games that you're going to get across the course of one season when 16 teams play one more game against those other 15 teams. Your inventory goes from here to here in a hurry. That's a lot of really good games compared to what you were going to have. And if you go look at the non-conference teams, that are playing against the SEC and the ACC this year, you can see why that inventory goes whoop really, really quick. So I think if they do go to nine, you're probably going to hear about some sort of injection into cash, a little bit of an add-on, a make good in the deal to say, okay, we're at, using round numbers, 10 billion, got 1 billion, we're at 700 million, we're going to get you to 850, or we're going to get you to 1.2 billion, because now you know that inventory is just going to be that much better, which is great for ESPN and the SEC network because they're going to have those slots. I don't think you're going to see a ton more games, especially if they're at nine. I don't think you're going to see a ton more games being streamed. So that one we can kind of push out as well. So who are those opponents going to be? Um, you know, we're going to debate this, talk about this, kick this around over and over and over and over. Um, you know, You look at some of the teams that are out there now and who people say they're going to play. Like apparently Texas... A&M, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. Like, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, some of the teams are easy to figure out. Um, Auburn, apparently. Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. For me, who m- most of my family lives in Columbia, it's actually really cool. But I I, I don't know how that one fits. Like, where does that one fit when LSU would obviously fit extremely well? Mississippi State, I think, would fit for different reasons. Um you could even go back and look at a Florida that would fit for different reasons. Now, you don't want to give Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. That's asking a lot. So, I just, to me, that feels like a weird fit, is all I'm saying. Some of them will be, though, and people are going to be mad about certain ones. LSU is the one that's going to be hardest to figure out because Ole Miss, a and Alabama apparently are where that goes now. So, I mean, if you're looking at it right now in your Alabama and you're thinking about exactly who it's going to be, you're going to potentially have, Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU—it's a lot. But you're Alabama, so you 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 would think that you would be able to handle it. If LSU goes Old Miss, A and M, and Bama, which I don't know about everybody else, but you guys can comment on the YouTube or you can tweet in at Cube Show, whatever it is. That I don't—I kind of don't understand the LSU A and M thing. Like we're we're trying to make that happen. We're trying to force this, and it's just to me, it's not as big of a thing. Like I almost think LSU and Arkansas is a little bit of a bigger thing, and we would potentially lose that one. You know, Arkansas is a weird team because now if you went Missouri, Texas, Kentucky, which is what some people are saying, I, I don't see that. How does Arkansas have Kentucky every year and Tennessee doesn't when Tennessee's getting Vandy, Bama, and South Carolina? Just give Tennessee, Kentucky. Um, and maybe regionalization is a little bit more important here. Like it's all so the footprints expanding, so you want teams you kind of compress it a little bit, but I I don't know exactly where that goes. But my point being, if you had that, like LSU, then would have no Auburn, no Florida, no Arkansas as an annual opponent, and there's always a chance that down the road this changes a little bit more. So you have your three permanents for three years, and then they change, or six years, and they change, whatever. I don't know, Uh, but it's gonna be fun to watch this because. The inventory with different television networks, as we know, Fox has got Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12, CBS is coming on the Big Ten, NBC is coming on the Big Ten. So now ABC and ESPN are going to have more room for more big SEC games. That's going to be fun. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be cool to keep up with. So taking all of that and rolling it into kind of where we go next, I think TV windows are something else to watch. How creative could the SEC get with different TV windows? Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving doubleheader. How incredible would it be to have Ole Miss, Mississippi State lead into Texas, Texas A&M on Thanksgiving day. And you can tell me NFL and you can tell me Cowboys. I do not care. These games are different and they mean more. And we know that. And that's why we're going to look at this as a potential that could happen. That would be very special. Rivalry weekend is going to be dominated by the SEC. No one can debate that. No one can pretend that's not a real thing. No one can pretend that's not going to happen. So I told you I was going to give you my top five college football rivalries. I'll do that in a weekend, in in a minute. But just think about if you went like generic top ten, could the SEC realistically have eight of those top ten right now? If you were talking about rivals and rivalry weekend, A and M, Texas, Iron Bowl, uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Florida State, Florida, South Carolina, Clemson, Oklahoma, Texas, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee. South Carolina, Clemson. I mean, there's a lot of them. I know that. There's a ton. So one thing that I wonder is, what about the other games that are considered to be rivalry games? I did mention one or two of them there. Because not all of those are going to be a rivalry weekend. One thing I would love to see, and certain people have already shit on this and said they think it's a bad idea, don't do this, no way, don't go there. I think a a mid-year rivalry weekend would be incredible. And I don't know if it's like, you know, mid-year rivalry Saturday, alternate rivalry Saturday, whatever that is, but you could legitimately sit there with Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama, Tennessee, and, I mean, take your pick, Georgia, Florida. Imagine having those three games back to back to back. Um, You know, you could throw in, if you wanted to move Missouri, Arkansas there, or if you wanted to go LSU, Arkansas there. I mean, they play for the boot, right? They got the 175-pound trophy, whatever that is. Throw that big-ass thing on there on alternate rivalry Saturday. It gives you something to market around. It gives you another day to look forward to for different reasons, like a day that sets itself apart. I also think it helps you steal the spotlight from the other leagues. That's the biggest thing to me. So if you market one weekend, I mean, kind of think about where the SEC Big 12 challenges is in basketball right now. Some of them are just the matchups. Yes, we get Kentucky-Kansas. Incredible. We love it. We want more of that. Okay? So we get those big games. It's going to be great no matter what. But imagine if you had that in football where the entire weekend's central focus becomes those games. I think the main thing you do right there is you take the Big 12's marketing ability, the Big 10's marketing ability, the ACC's marketing ability, and you say, poof, this is our weekend, homie. We own it. Get the fuck out. Everything else is ours. We run this shit. That, to me, would be one of the main reasons to do it. Now, certain people don't like it. Why would you jam all those games into one big weekend? They're going to have to overlap if you did four of them. That's fine. And there's a lot of other ones you can move there. If it wasn't Georgia, Florida, Auburn, Georgia could be there. I mentioned that LSU Alabama game. That's going to be an annual opponent. Have that be there. Go take some of these annual opponents we're talking about. Let a bunch of them, Hell, let let A&M and South Carolina play on that weekend for the stupid governor's trophy, whatever they they call that. I don't know what it's called. Let them play for that one if we're going to pretend like that's a real rivalry. So I just think there, there are other games that have a ton of meaning in this league now that are not going to be on the last weekend of the year that are considered rivalry games that you could now use as a magnificent marketing mogul and just push them and go and have everything surrounding around you. Just an idea that I had thrown it out. Not that anybody's asked me or anybody cares. All right. Rivalry weekend, though, will be dominated by the SEC. My top five college football rivalries. And this is me. We all have them for different reasons you're going to hate this. Some of you might like this. Most of you won't. Don't care because it's mine. My list. That's why it has my in front of it. Cole Kubelik's top five college football rivalries. Number five, the Egg Bowl. There's something that will say a lot about these other rivalries that I can't say about this one. And it's going to be what's on the line every year that they play. I get it. Old Miss, Mississippi State is not playing first by the playoff every year. It does not determine who's going to be in the SEC championship game every year. I know that. I got it. I get it. They're in the same division. They're in the same state. The physicality, the hatred, the direction of this game, what it means to those folks, when it falls on the calendar, every single year lives up to the hype. Okay, maybe not every single year. There's been one or two like the last eight, nine, ten years that haven't been the most competitive games. More times than not, this game brings it. heated intensity, in your face, almost like, fuck you, football. I love it. I love the Egg Bowl. It's one of my favorite rivalries to watch every single year, probably because I'm not working that day and actually have a chance to sit down and watch it. But that's in my top five. Number four, Oklahoma, Texas. You cannot not include Oklahoma, Texas with everything that surrounds this game. All of it. Texas State Fair goes for what? A whole month? I don't know. I don't know the duration of it. Fried Oreos fried bananas, fried Twinkies, the giant cowboy clown, whatever that is when you walk in there, like Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma, Texas, split right down the middle. you've You've got the crimson and you've got the burnt orange. It's just all of it is incredible. It is just beautiful in its entirety, and it's usually a game that there is a lot on the line. I know some years recently hasn't been as much, but it's usually a big game with big players and some conference and national championship implications have been involved in this game very recently. I think that one's got to be there. Number three for me is Ohio State and Michigan. There's not a ton that I need to say about this. We know what it is. We know what it means. It falls on the calendar the last day of the season, and there's usually somebody playing for a Big Ten championship or a national championship. I mean, hell, we've seen one versus two in this game very recently. It is everything that everybody tries to tell you that it is. I've never attended one. God help me, and one day I hope I'm able to do it because I can only imagine the scene at either the big house or in the horseshoe and how magnificent this football game would be to attend in person. You've got legit NFL stars, future stars that are playing this game every year. You've got huge names coaching this game every year. The implications, the history, the tradition, there's literally nothing you can say about this game that does not equate to everything that is beautiful in college football. I love Ohio State and Michigan. Number two is the Iron Bowl. Um, everything I said about Ohio State and Michigan, take that and add two teams in the same state a couple hours from each other that do not have as much professional football or any real professional football to be a pay attention to or high-level professional sports. Um, I grew up around it. I grew up a couple of miles from Legion Field. Neither one of my parents were an Auburn, Alabama fan growing up. I got to see this from a lot of different directions. I played this game in three venues, Bryant-Denny Stadium, Jordan-Hare Stadium, and Legion Field. Uh, Obviously covered it doing radio in Birmingham and Huntsville, Alabama for a very long time. It's everything to me. Everything. And I still tell people to this day, the most special game that I ever played in was the last one at Legion Field because I know what that venue meant. I knew the history of that game there and what it was and what it is, and we lost that game. So to say that a loss is, probably has the more meaning of any other game I ever played in is a pretty crazy thing to say. Um, And then go back the last decade plus and look at the implications of BCS championships, SEC West championships, college football playoffs, national championships. This game has had everything. The craziest ending in the history of college football has taken place in this game. A lot have been competitive, more so than not. Yes, one or two have gotten away. I get it. But usually this game is as heated, competitive, and fun to watch as any other in college football on an annual basis. Some have had dips and rises, but the Iron Bowl is number two, which makes number one Army-Navy. My opinion on this will not change. I understand the lack of implications for a national title, a conference title. Um, you could even say Heisman Trophies, whatever. doesn't matter. It is being played on a stage that is unlike anything I've ever seen in sports, and I've attended it. I've been there. Uh, everything that is around this game goes into this game and this game is a part of and it is a part of this game. There is nothing like it in sports, not the Super Bowl. Uh, and that doesn't mean there's the same number of people watching it. But when when you see those folks march in and you see what's happening in the stands and you hear people talk about it that have invo- been involved with it in a lot of different ways and that's serving after having played in it, having played in it, having coached in it, you just realize this thing is... is It's its own monster, and the meaning goes so deep, so far, for so many people, for so many reasons, there's no way I could put another game in front of it. I never could, and I never will. I don't care about the style of football. I don't care about the records. I don't care about the titles. I don't care what else is on the line. It's Army-Navy. That's all that needs to be said. It is the epitome of special, and that's not just in college football. The Iron Bowl is... Special in every way that college football should be. Ohio State, Michigan, special in every way that college football. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, unique in every way that college football should be. Army-Navy is special just in society in and of itself. So I'm not ever going to put a game above it. It is truly magical, and I love every ounce of it. So top five rivalries for me. Army-Navy, Iron Bowl, Ohio State, Michigan, Oklahoma, Texas, Old Miss, Mississippi State, the Egg Bowl. So moving forward, if we went to the next five, that's where it gets a little bit complicated. And I think that's where it gets a little bit tricky. But there's a chance that Texas and Texas A&M, I wouldn't have included them in my top 10 now because it's not really back. But when it gets back, it's easy in the top 10. And I could see it being pushed maybe to number five or maybe to number four ahead of Oklahoma, Texas. Now that we get that thing back, that's a difference maker. That thing could easily be in the top five day one when it returns. And I know it's coming, but it's not technically here yet. But that's going to be in there. Georgia-Florida going to be in there. Florida-Florida State going to be in there. Is Florida State-Miami in there? South Carolina-Clemson? Auburn-Georgia? Alabama-Tennessee? The SEC could realistically have eight of the top ten rivalries in college football. UCLA and USC is not there for me. USC-Notre Dame? We could have a conversation. Maybe. Notre Dame-Michigan? Probably need to see it every year if that's going to be there. But there's a couple others that, that are close we would talk about. We'd love to talk about the Holy War being there. Uh, I think that's one that was, but maybe not be there now. A lot of great rivalries around college football, but the SEC would have one or two participants in more than half of the top 10 rivalries in college football. I say at least 70, if not 80% of them, which makes that last weekend of the season being dominated by the SEC again. And if we can figure out that midseason rivalry weekend, they can dominate that as well. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We're here every Sunday. More college football content. Probably more individual player breakdowns coming up. We will get the spring previews. We're going to do kind of a review of teams as well. We've got a lot coming up for you here in this offseason. Thank yous to Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious. Also, thanks to Blue Delta Jeans. Go to bluedeltagenes.com. My boy, Gert Fred Mill. I know you're out there trying to get a here right now. They will do you right, and yes, it's worth it. We'll be back next week. Please, YouTube, subscribe, share, like. We appreciate that. Apple Podcast, Spotify, please subscribe, download, go like, review. We appreciate all of you. It's a ton of fun each and every week. I love more interaction. We're getting more comments. We're getting more people on Twitter and Instagram. Please keep them coming. Try to answer those quickly. Two of you came in with two others. And I want to try to get to those before I leave. What would your preferred scheduling model be with Texas, Oklahoma, joining next year? Matt Lamb tweeted that into the show. Um, mine's the 9 3 uh, nine conference games and then six and three. Uh, that's the way I would want to go. And then uh, John in Kentucky tweets in: In the age of NIL and portal recruiting, what skills must a coach have to be successful today? What are the expectations of athletes who come into this environment? The expectation question is crazy because I don't know. I think the expectation when it's a transfer is to be able to come in and know how to deal with everything that goes on being a college football player. Um, if you're a coach today. You have to know how to relate to a lot of different types of players because you're going to get every single kind of them that have been told every single thing, and that includes high school and portal. Now with what NIL is, you better be relatable. Number one, if you're not relatable, I don't think kids are going to stick around and they're going to have a lot of other reasons to go play somewhere else. Appreciate you tuning in. We're back next Sunday. Cube Show, a college football podcast.